Many of you, when you were children, probably learned a little poem that goes like this. Here is the church. Everybody remember this one? Here is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. Close the door and hear them pray. Open the door and they all go away. I heard a new rendition of this poem that I think fits much better in the culture that we're living today. And it goes like this. Here is the church and here is the steeple. Open the door. Where are the people? Across the street at the bar. Open the door and there they are. The world is changing, right? It's very different. People are just simply not in church anymore. Now it's a cold day and so... We're a little bit thin in our ranks. But still, the world is much, much different. In fact, the world has changed so much that if we were to transplant your parents or your grandparents, for many of you here today, they would not be able to really function in the world the way that is. Imagine some of you are trying to explain to your grandparents what internet is. The idea of cell phones that are just basic. We all understand that. There are places in the country right now where there is not running water, but there is high-speed internet. It is a different world. And so we are talking over this sermon series about how different this world is. Talking about three different storms that have sort of come together to create a perfect storm. The one we're going to talk about today is post-Christendom. Which means that Christianity just doesn't have the central place in the community and in the country that it used to. Postmodernism, which basically said all those ideals of modernism, we're going to throw those away. We're going to have totally new ways of thinking. Post-enlightenment is the third storm I'm going to talk about in a few weeks. And that's an extension of postmodernism where people just think totally different today than they used to. These kind of things have come up against the church before, but never all at the same time like this. Never so rapidly has the world changed as it is right now. And the church is reeling to keep up. And so today we're going to talk about what it means to be a church in a post-Christendom world. To do that, I want to look through the lens of Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8. This is uh, um, the story of how we start getting into the need for Moses and for the salvation of the Jews because the Israelites are now in Egypt. If you go back and remember the story, Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. And uh, the people, as Abraham's generation sort of go, they start to get in trouble because of famine, but they are saved because they have one, there's one relative, one, uh, let's see, great-grandson, or I didn't do the math on it, named Joseph, who gets sold into slavery in Egypt and ends up saving not only his family, but all of Egypt because he, he, he foresees that there's this famine coming. But here we are in Exodus chapter 1, right at the beginning of the Exodus story. Chapter 8, or verse 8. Now there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, 
they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. See, Joseph had done a lot of work to save all of Egypt. In fact, he had helped build Egypt. He had been in charge of, of the barns, of the storehouses. He had been a leader in Egypt, making decisions for the king. But a few generations later, a king comes that the text says did not know Joseph, had no memory of Joseph, had no memory of what, what this people had done to save the nation. And so he's frustrated. He's intimidated by these people and begins to put them into slavery. When he goes to ask, hey, hey, what's up with these Israelites? Why are they so many? And, and why do they have such prominence in the community? None of the people he asks know. He can't get a backstory. And so there is a total loss of memory about what, why these Israelites are there. I think the same thing is happening in the West today, particularly in the United States. Everybody listen, the United States, we, we've called it a Christian nation. There was never a time when all of the United States was Christian. And mo many of the forefathers weren't Christian. They, they were actually deists. Um, but still there was an understanding in our country that a, a basic understanding of Christianity and a basic adherence to Judeo-Christian values. In other words, even though even those who would not be called Christians often thought about life and ethics the same way Christians generally did. We can remember times when things were closed on Sunday, where sex was for marriage, when modesty was important. And how many of your parents or grandparents would blush? How many of you blush at some of the commercials that you see? I'm not talking the movies. I'm not talking the TV shows. I'm talking the commercials. People understood Christianity and had at least been to church. Christians had prominence in public conversation. You saw pastors and Christian leaders on the news for commentary and not just interrogation. It was expected that you went to church and there were benefits for doing so. If you wanted to be an elected official, you had to be in a church. Just, you had to. You wanted to be CEO of the local bank, you had to have a church tie-in somewhere. Mostly Protestant tie-in, actually. Pastors were respected voices in the communities. Everybody remember when your denomination was important to you and to others? Where whether you were Presbyterian or Methodist was a big deal. Being a church was just really about having good programming so that when people would church shop, they would pick your church over other churches. But this is rapidly coming to an end. While in Europe this has been a slow fade, in the United States this happened really, really rather quickly. Most of you in your lifetime have seen this come down. The central place of Christianity in our culture, that has not always been the case for Christians. It was definitely not the case when Christianity began. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged from governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that hour. 
For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Doesn't Jesus' words seem like foreign to us? Have we ever had to pay for being a Christian? Maybe in the last couple of years, but before that, I seriously doubt it. Not that you have to run for your life, for your faith. Jesus' understanding of what it means to be a Christian is far different than ours. And it's because we are really locked in this idea of Christendom. So much so that these words seem totally foreign to us. See, the early Christians were like this. They had to, be, they, they had to flee. A lot of them were killed for their faith. But, but eventually, Christian, Christianity starts growing. And a lot more people are getting saved. By the 1300s, the Christians are starting to outnumber a lot of everybody else. And there was an emperor named Constantine in the 300s. He, he supposedly had a dream where he saw a Cairo symbol. That's the symbol that's on our candle, by the way, our Christ candle. It's the two, sorry if Jesus is in the way, you want to see it later. Um, the Cairo is actually two symbols. It's, a, it's an X and it would be uh, the letter P, um, but it's a row in Greek. It's the first two letters of the word Christ. And so he saw this symbol sort of put together and, and decided that that was going to be his symbol and so he became a Christian, was baptized on a Christmas morning, and uh, ended up ruling. And that was, the, that was the first time that Christianity had prominence in the culture, that Christianity had power in the culture. And at that time, it was a big relief for the Christians, who had literally been dying for their faith for a few hundred years. Some emperors came, were more tolerant of Christians, but many had tried to put them down. Ever since then, Christianity has wrestled with um, having power in the West, throughout Europe. And ever since the Reformation, really Christianity has had prominence. It's sort of a, a reinvigoration of this idea of Christendom. That Christianity would be the dominant force, the dominant speaking point, the dominant position in our community. But here is the stark reality. Christendom is dead. Not Christianity. Christianity will continue to live on. But I'm saying this idea of Christendom, where Christianity has the prominence in the culture, it's done. I love how Pastor Mark Driscoll says this in his book, A Call to Resurgence. He says, like many deaths, the final demise of Christendom occurred after a long, painful struggle that started in the 1960s and 70s. Christendom took a serious beating during those years. Strength and vigor waned as Christendom grew old and tired um, in the 1980s and 90s. By the turn of the millennium, it could no longer fight back. Finally, after more of a decade of labor breathing and a weakening heart, Christendom has gone the way of all flesh. So how different is our world? In the United States, you may have heard statistics that somewhere between, depending on the study, 40 to 70% of Americans at least claim to be Christians. But when we factor in some basic staples of our faith, like, like these four, belief in the Bible as the word of God, belief that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, 
belief that we personally need to be converted, and belief that the gospel needs to be expressed outwardly in our lives, the statistics are much, much lower. And that, for me, is a basic, like, bare minimum understanding of what Christianity is. That says nothing about church, it says nothing about community. Um, basic, that doesn't even include people that are actually reading the Bible, just people that believe it is the Word of God. John Dickerson, in his book, The Great Evangelical Recession, estimates that number of practicing, believing evangelical Christians to be about 7 to 9% of Americans today. 7 to 9% could agree with those four things. That's unreal. By comparison, recent statistics say that about 6.4% of Americans age 18 to 29 identify themselves as either lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. 6.4% of those 18 to 29 years old. Now, whatever your view is on those things, I just want, I'm just trying to make the point that we've got about 7 to 9% of Americans that are living an active Christian lifestyle. And we've got at least that number that are living alternative lifestyles that probably your grandparents would not have agreed with. That is the world that we live in today. So what happened? Well, I think that one of the things we understand is that power corrupts, right? Organizations that become focused on their own self-preservation over time tend to lose their sense of mission. They become, their mission becomes continuing to exist, right? I mean, we've all been a part of organizations that are like this, right? Government becomes like this. School systems become like this. We have union workers in here, right? We, we have all sensed that tension in unions, right? The tendency to then sometimes be about their own self-preservation. This is just how organizations are. Businesses are like this, right? You get a new business and it starts out, it's very exciting, it's very on mission. And over time, as it starts to build, it starts to just be about keeping the doors open rather than the mission that got it there in the first place. When you have power, you tend to lose your edge. Without power, you work like a dog for everything you get. You ever seen the statistics on professional athletes and lottery winners that have made millions of dollars and now don't have anything? They're bankrupt. And when you have a lot of it, you tend to not be real careful with it. And you end up bankrupt. I wonder if Christianity and its prominence in the West, we have become bankrupt. We weren't careful with the gospel. We weren't careful with what we had because we didn't need to be. And now all of a sudden we're at a place where we need to be again. We've sometimes lost our mission and our focus and become much more about self-preservation. It's made Christians very uh, hypocritical, even mean at times. All the while, the world has changed. The world has gotten smaller because of technology, travel, and immigration. The, there's much more, um, many different religions, many different viewpoints. We can share those different viewpoints. We live in a much more pluralistic society and Christianity just no longer holds special privilege anymore. We have what we call the rise of the nuns. I don't mean the Catholic ones. I mean the N-O-N-E-S. The nuns, those people who claim no religious affiliation. That was a really, really small portion of our population 50 years ago. Now more and more people are just deciding, you know what, I'm not going to claim any religious affiliation has more to do 
is more than just not being Christian. People are starting to become aggressively anti-Christian. The growth of what we would call militant atheism. Have you read some of these people or seen some of these people? People like Richard Dawkins and others who write, speak, and debate, trying to further the demise of all religion, particularly Christianity. Publishing best-selling titles like The End of Faith, The God Delusions, and Follies of the Wise. Recently read an article in Scientific America of somebody who was writing about the rise of the nuns and was celebrating in the journal, saying, isn't that great that religion is finally starting to slide in our culture? People are not just not Christian anymore. There are many, many people who are becoming anti-Christian. We have a huge surge, particularly among people my age and under, of what we would call the spiritual but not religious. People who want to have encounters with God, but they just don't want to have it in any kind of religious context. The result of all these things is like the king of Egypt. I think the West has forgotten the good that Christianity has done in the past. I think Christianity helped build this, this country. I think the values that we're talking about really helped make America what it is today. And I think that it's probably going to be problematic for our country as we get away from that. This growing animosity towards Christians. Instead of being in a place of privilege in the public conversation, Christianity is being pushed to the fringe. Christians are oppressed, even being fired for their opinions when others are free to give theirs. Ethics are now totally up for debate. If you think that you are shocked about the discussions that we're currently having about what is appropriate and not appropriate behavior, just wait. Mark my words. Um, for many, our parents and grandparents would be rolling over in their grave to hear the debates that we currently have and have basically lost about the issue of homosexuality. But, but I want you to know that in, in academic circles, there are now people arguing that since, since it's all about what we want and if a relationship is consensual, people are starting to argue for multiple spouses, for open relationships, and even incest. And those are going to be the debates that are coming in the next 10 to 15 years. Mark my words. These are already starting to happen in academic circles. It's now offensive for you to claim any truth as exclusive. If you try to say Jesus is the only way to God, that is a problem today. If you try to say, what you're supposed to say is that all religions are basically the same. That's what is expected of you. The Bible is no longer relevant uh, as a defense of your beliefs, nor is your tradition. How many of you are getting a little uneasy as I'm talking about this? Yeah, it's easy to. Because we're getting a little bit of downright uneasiness and panic. Because we understand that the world is so different than the world that we grew up in. The world that we inherited. This poses great challenges for the church and for Christians in the future. Churches are going to have to work harder and they're going to have to try to be more authentic. Christians will have to learn to have opinions um, that are neither shared or welcomed by the public. We're going to have to figure out how to read the Bible again. Not just to say, well, the Bible tells me so, but to understand it in depth enough to understand why the Bible says the things that it says. And yet I want you to know that I am not panicked about this. I personally think that this upheaval is needed and that it is pregnant with opportunity. 
Yes, our churches are smaller, but many of those who are not in church anymore, frankly, a lot of them were only here because of social pressure. The church needs to learn again how not to be a civil religion, not to be a church with power, but a church much more like the early church. We are actually returning to our roots. Besides, the church has always grown better on the fringes. I think this may be scary for us, but it's not for Christ. We become too much of a civil religion, I think. We become too comfortable. We become an organization that's focused on our own survival. Not just this church, I'm saying generally. And I've lost sight of our mission to have radically changed lives and to radically change other lives because of Jesus Christ, who is the center of all that we do. Let me try to bring this together for you with a metaphor. Um, I read about a man in England who bought a painting as a hand-me-down shop. He bought it because it had this really ornate frame. It was really kind of neat. And he bought this for about 100 pounds, which I had to go look this up. It's about $165. He bought this picture frame. Because uh, it was a painting, but what he really liked was this really ornate frame. Sat in his attic for a couple years until he finally got it out to take some pictures of it. And he realized that there's a signature on the corner. And so he talked to some people and found out that that signature looks like a signature of a man named Paul Cezanne, who was a really amazing painter from the late 1800s. The last Cezanne painting that was sold was sold in New York City for $60 million. $60 million. He bought one for $165. Because he liked the frame. Now, at last I could tell, they were still trying to figure out if this was a legitimate painting. But they felt, if it was, and a lot of people were initially saying they thought it was going to be, it was probably going to sell in that range. See, paintings need frames, right? If you don't have a painting on a frame, it tends to stretch and get kind of warped. It's not very well protected. But it's not about the frame, is it? It's actually about the painting. See, I think that the part of the problem for the church is that we have this amazing painting, this amazing picture. We have this amazing work of Jesus Christ that changed the world. And to protect that, the early church started making a frame, a structure, kind of built religion around that. Because we needed some kind of order of worship, and we needed sacraments, and we needed hymns, and we needed ways that we could explain this better. But part of what I think happened is over time we started to care more about the frame than we did the picture. We lost the picture in the frame. And so here is the church caring so much about the structure that it's created. But in the end it's missing the $60 million painting in the middle of it. This is why so many younger people are leaving the church. is because they can't identify with the frame anymore. But they are willing a lot of times to talk about Jesus. This, by the way, is my story. When I went to college, son of a pastor, I kind of got away from the church. I didn't really leave my faith. I just really didn't go to church. I would have considered myself one of those spiritual but not religious people. I, I didn't see the point in the structure. And it took a while for God to show me how the structure is actually important. Partially because my life was terrible without it. It was a bombed experience. That's what experiment. That's what my life without religion was. 
But I can totally identify with the culture saying, I want to be spiritual but not religious. Because when I look at our churches, I see so much that we care so much about the structure. We miss the point. We miss the purpose. So I don't think the end of Christendom is really that bad of a thing. Because I think it's time that the church start, start rethinking the frame a little bit in light of the actual picture. It's time that the focus got where it needs to be. As the world changes, as ethics are thrown by the wayside, I think our testimony about Jesus and our changed lives are going to hold even more weight. I mean, if the whole world is in this chaos, where everything goes, where everybody's panicked and nobody has hope, if Christians can say, no, I believe in this, and I have hope in this in the middle of this chaotic world, people are going to notice that more and more. I love how author Leonard Sweet puts it. He says, Christianity is now such a non-factor in the wider culture that people are becoming open to it as if for the first time. That Christianity has moved so much to the fringe that now people aren't just rejecting it because it's civil religion anymore. People are willing to look at it again. It means work for us. We are now missionaries. We are now living in a foreign land that we don't understand. And if we're going to minister there, it'd be like a missionary who has to go to another culture and learn their customs and learn their language and understand how to speak about Christ in those contexts. It's a lot of work for us now. We can't just have a good church with good programming and expect people to come. We've got to be missionaries to the people that we know. We're going to have to rethink what it means to be church in light of this. What we think when we say church, at least. Of course, what we think when we say church isn't what the church has always been anyway. Here is the reality. Christendom is dead. There's no sense in wailing and crying about it. There's no sense fighting for it to come back. It ain't coming back. But heck, I say good riddance. Let's start following Christ Let's have our lives be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the drawing board and consider what it really means to be church. I don't think we're going to end up throwing out all of our tradition. I think what's going to actually happen is we're going to rediscover the beauty of our tradition in light of the picture, which is where we need to be. If we are like a person who cares more about the frame than the art, let's fall in love with the painting once again. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that, uh, Lord, we felt comfortable in Christendom. We felt comfortable there because we could do our thing and not be bothered. We could go through the motions of church and not have to struggle for it. But we thank you that you were challenging us. We thank you that you are not a person, you are are not a God who is overwhelmed by what's going on in our culture, but you are at work within it and leading it. So speak to us about what it will mean to be a church and what it will mean to be a Christian in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.